I was visiting with Marcus recently, and I said, um, you know, it's always been confusing when I introduce myself up here to you all because um, you're like, why are they just letting any church member preach? You know, like, I'm like, hi, I'm Casey, I'm a church member, I'm a community group leader, I'm your drummer, uh, I can run sound and do slides if need be, um, but uh, ultimately, uh, you know, I've been in some capacity of vocational ministry or non-vocational ministry um, since 1997 and, uh, and have taken a season of rest and growth and maturing um, after a, a long church planting process of almost a decade. Uh, and uh, the, the church here has been gracious to allow me the privilege uh, to heal, uh, to just be Casey, which has been nice um, for a season. Um, but as we'll be in Ephesians 4 today, beginning in verse 17, the first half of Ephesians 4 talks about the work and unity in the body and that as God gifts certain people to do specific work, the ultimate goal is to strengthen the body for the work of the gospel so that not only their immediate church community but the community surrounding them and then the community further out and then the, the state and nation and world might be transformed by the powerful work of Jesus through his good news. And so as we, as we approach this today, and as I was preparing to preach, and you still have time to raise all sorts of concerns, and if you want to confer with my wife Stephanie, she has plenty more that the elders have already done their due diligence with, and she says, as long as she's known me since I was 17 years old, and her 15, um, she says to the elders that I don't know a better time when he is in a place to be able to serve in this capacity. Um, and so, and if you know Stephanie you know that she uh, would tell you otherwise um, in a very loving, supportive, godly, and clear sort of way. And so uh, I remember still going through the Acts 29 assessment myself back in 2009. Uh, Pastor Justin was in Colorado with us. And, uh, and so most of the time uh, they were in there, they were just hearing from her. And then she's like, oh, and then this, and then this. And not like tattletelling, but just like, hey, what are some of his blind spots? And it was, like, it was like I was driving a car that someone had taken oil and smeared the mirrors on um, that you could see a bit of lights and stuff coming your way. And it was so gracious and so unnerving of how much more I still needed to grow. And so as I was preparing for this sermon, 13 years later, I was still undone by how unnerving it is by how much more maturing and how much growth I'm yet to have. And so I'm not presenting myself before you as a completed work, but as someone who has faced the severity of my own sin in many different ways and has seen the impact and consequence not only in my own life but on the lives of those around me and have seen the beauty and glory and holiness of our God and how far uh, sh how I fall so short that I come before you and say, I, I, I want to fall forward towards more of God, not less of God, and that um, we're still working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We still don't have it all figured out. Uh, we're still increasingly more aware of what we do not know, um, but we are hopeful that as God has promised to begin and has begun the good work in us, he is faithful and will see it to completion. 
And so if you would have uh, the fellow elders and I be fellow works in process with you, not as lords over you, but as leaders amongst you, to love you and lead you and guide you, that that would be my prayer, and that, that would be something worth giving my life toward. That being said, as I was preparing the sermon, I had tried to wrestle with the Lord asking if I could preach this after next Sunday um, when there's no more opportunity to send emails. <laughs> I am a recovering people pleaser. Um, I, as, as rough as my face looks, I'm actually a teddy bear and quite sensitive um, and uh, would prefer just to encourage you and exhort you and everything else. Um, but as I went through the passage, starting in verse uh, 17, as I've been meditating upon the word, as I've been looking at the world around us, as I've been looking at the state of our church, the church, and, and the global church, I, I have something that I, I feel like the Lord needs all of us to hear, including myself, and it's this. It is time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Info at redeemerbrenham.org. <laughs> it's interesting. When I was a child, I've always been, I now know it's the gift of discernment the Lord's given me. It doesn't mean I can read your mind or always know what's going on with you, but I'm perceptive as to my surrounding, what's going on, and it was quite overwhelming as a young kid, emotionally overwhelming going into school with a bunch of kids with a bunch of different stuff going on. I could sense something off at home when things were off at home, um, and, um, and I had this sinking feeling that a lot of the times adults didn't really know what they were doing. And then now as an adult, I can confirm <laughs> that most of the time, adults, adults don't really know what we're doing. Children, teenagers, I understand how confusing it must be when we say you need to start acting like an adult. Because what that really means is you can still behave like a kid or a toddler, you just have to act right. You don't have to think different. You don't have to treat other people different necessarily unless they're giving you a paycheck or giving you what you want. So it's got to be confusing, to, especially to teenagers, when mom and dad are saying, you need to act this way, yet they're living another. That's got to be confusing, especially in the Christian faith. Part of the challenge is our culture today is there, in the Bible, there are only children and adults. Teenager was a phrase that was created after the Industrial Revolution because we no longer needed kids to be responsible out in the field or go to war. And so we're like, what do we do with those from age 12 to 22, and now it seems like 32? Adolescents, uh, teenagers, right? So you start being trained on how to act more adult-like while being kind of encouraged to still behave like a child. Now, a child acting childish is appropriate. An adult acting childish, the Bible calls, is foolish. And so when we talk about maturity today, we're talking about growing in wisdom 
which is opposite from foolish. And wisdom is rightly knowing how to use what you know. Have you ever come across a Bible nerd? I'm one who always thinks they know the right answer has the right answer. But the way they come off is very off-putting. That's because they have zeal and they have knowledge and they lack wisdom. And so they're beginning to act like children with heavy, mature knowledge, which is obviously disorienting. I've been that guy. I can still be that guy. At least I'm kind of funny when I'm that guy, but it's still foolish. And so rather than telling adults you're acting like a child, we can say, hey, you're acting like a fool doesn't really get received very well sometimes. But the goal is to mature in righteousness and in wisdom because all wisdom is from God. And so if you start viewing the scriptures through the lens of wise and foolish, adult and childish, the aim of teenagers today, I always tell our 15-year-old daughter, and I, I promised her I wouldn't bring her up much in illustrations unless it was edifying or I had her permission. But I, we told her from very little, enjoy being a kid because there's child and there's adult in our home. And you will still behave childishly through your teen years, but we're going to correct that along the way. Doesn't mean we don't have fun. Doesn't mean that we don't act silly. I'm not saying having fun or acting silly. Context is key, and a wise person knows how to use context, Right? So when I'm hanging out with the students in the student ministry and I act a little bit foolish, I'm doing it within context, actually out of wisdom to know that if they see the humanity of me and that I understand a little bit what it's like to be spastic, no surprise there, that disarms a bit so that we can then start talking about things that really matter. Context is key with the wise person. The way I speak solely to men is different than how I speak with men and women in mixed company or as I minister to a woman in context. Not being duplicitous, but being contextual, out of wisdom to try to serve someone that I'm working with. See, we, we, early on we would change godliness and holiness to simply meaning behave right. Do the right thing. Don't do non-Christian stuff. And so we could be a, a, a two-year-old in our soul... And have foolish thought patterns and foolish things as long as we act like adult outside, as long as it's been beat out of you, that we've never been called to grow up in the way we think, in the way we process, in the way we view things. And therefore, we say we have more love, but really as we get older, we just grow an affinity. We love things that reflect us, rather than that which is honoring to the Lord. And so in Ephesians chapter 4... Beginning in verse 17, the Apostle Paul, writing back to a church that he helped plant and served at for a significant amount of time, is bringing this reminder to them on how then should they live as followers of Jesus. Now I, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of, of their minds. And so the Gentiles were non-Jewish, non-Christ followers. Non-believers. 
He says, no longer walk as they do. And notice he doesn't begin with outward behaviors. He begins with the futility of their mind. Futility is death-bent, death-word in their thinking. They're, they're, they're orienting their lives and their thinking towards things that are life-taking and not life-giving. He says, hey, don't orient your mind and, and then your life and then your soul in, in the same direction. And he starts unpacking what that means. They are darkened in their understanding. Remember, followers of Jesus are people of the light. That we are called from the darkness into the light. But Paul's saying, so hey, this is how they live. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated, removed from, isolated from the life of God. Why? Because the ignorance that is in them. They are fanning the flame of a knowledge that is not life-giving, but life-taking. Their foolish pursuit of things that might appear to give real life are actually sources of death. They appear to give life. Due to their, why, what's the cause of that? The hardness of their heart. The hardness of heart um, is, is easy to come by. And I, I often think when talking about hardness of heart is, and please forgive me any vegetarians here, but I think about thawing a pound of beef, ground beef. I'm pretty impatient. And so eventually, if it's kind of mushy, I throw it in the pan. Especially if we're cooking spaghetti or something, we'll let the heat work. I know it doesn't capture all the flavor and juices, but you got to get it done. The problem is, is, is there's no real microwave to the soul. And over the years, you could have had a season of, of soft tenderness towards the Lord, but he's saying, hey, don't be like these people who've never known the heat of the Lord's presence, the thawing power of Jesus Christ, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't live and walk as them with a hardened heart. Because guess what? Our hearts are predisposed towards freezing up again. He says, hey, don't, don't walk that way out of unbelief and in foolishness. They have become callous so not only are they hard but they have put layers of protection around their heart from preventing anything from coming in to bring any sort of real transformation so even if they're able to change their outward behavior the inward transformation that christ brings about and what him being lord really means is very difficult to take place they've made up their mind their mind is formed towards debt, and there's layers of protection around it, having given themselves up instead then to, uh, as we like to say in our day and age, instant gratification. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Whatever they can get to numb the pain, to avoid the real issue, to deal with their unbelief in an honest and life-giving way, they continue to perpetuate it by turning away from Christ and from the things of God and continue to live into believing in their unbelief. It's not that non-believers don't believe anything. It's that the beliefs that they hold and the convictions that they follow have an intimate long-term effect, an ultimate long-term effect of leading to death. And not just physical death, but also death of their souls. Spiritual death. 
And so the Apostle Paul is showing us that, however, life with Jesus will, not can, will lead to transformation. It's interesting to me, I came to faith when I was 17, came to, went to church on and off before that, but it's interesting to me that people are saved, but Jesus isn't Lord of their life. And it seemed like another, as a marketer, another call to action and tick point in the sales funnel of uh, especially Southern Baptist camps. Uh, they rededicated and made Christ the Lord of their lives. Now, is it possible to be saved and not live as, with Christ as the Lord of your life? Sure, I have moments and days and seasons like that. However, that doesn't mean Christ is not Lord. Jesus isn't Lord because we make him Lord. Jesus is Lord. We either obey it and follow it and have adolescent voice cracks, or we don't. We walk in that truth and under that truth or away from it. We're not making him Lord or not. That's very American. Well, we vote him in as Lord. Well, he didn't do a good job. He let me down. He's no longer in. No, no, no. That might be your micro functionality and how you engage the Lord, but Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you believe or don't believe. Paul breaks that down in Philippians. One day you will bow. Your knee will bow one day. On earth, on, in heaven, under the earth, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Info at RedeemerBrenham.org. He's saying, hey, don't be like non-believers. Their behavior is relationship-breaking, covenant-breaking, and will ultimately lead you to emptiness. We worship a God who's into taking broken things and not just fixing them, but making them new. We worship a God that takes dirt and makes it into souls and humans. We, we worship a God who takes the dead and makes them alive. And since we worship a God like that, the invitation to no longer live as those who are blind to that reality shouldn't seem offensive, but liberating. Hey, guess what? That's the life for you. Yes, this path is harder. That's why Jesus said, narrow is the path and few find it. Narrow is the gate and few enter it. Wide is the path. In the wide is the gate that leads you to destruction. And so we ought to find ourselves at times doing things opposite than the world would make sense of. Not just to be weird or different, but out of obedience. Don't be like the Gentiles. Out of their ignorance, which leads to a hardness of heart, which then gets calloused and even harder, perpetuating, and, and guess what, even a non-believing soul that has a hard heart that's callous to run over, that's going after all these sensual things, is literally showing that they were created in the image of our creator, and their soul is longing for that reconnection, yet they're looking for it in places that will always leave them wanting. But verse, verse 20 goes on to say, but that church is not the way you learned in Christ. And he could say this to the church in Ephesus because he's the one that discipled them. And while I haven't been familiar to all of you for quite some time, there is, and I'm not saying I'm Paul, 
But some of you I've known for a long time, back before Christ Church and House of Worship formed Redeemer. And I, 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 over the years, Pastor Justin would update me on everything being taught. We would always talk sermon series. We would meet a couple times a month. I, I had a good pulse. I had emails, newsletters coming in that I actually looked at and read and prayed for you all. Like, I knew what was up here. Look, that type of living is not what you've been taught. There's a big knowing and doing gap in many of our lives. I know there is in mine. If I did everything I knew, I'd be healthy, I'd be wealthy, I'd be more godly. My wife would like me more. I'd be funnier. But he's, he's, he's calling us to something that isn't unfamiliar. He's saying, hey, follower of Jesus, you have everything you need to keep growing. And that's why when people say, well, I'm just not really being fed right now. Well, guess what? I have not seen a sign on the church sign that says all-you-can-eat buffet. If you're still hungry, that means God's doing what he promises to do. To where a 30-minute sermon once a week just isn't enough of God to have. And maybe you start making notes of like, man, I want to dig further into these verses here. And I'm going to get my study Bible and look into it. I'm going to bring it up with my community group leader. Or I'm going to, maybe that's a place he's calling you. But he goes on and says this, assuming that you've heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So here's my presupposition, my, my assumption. You're here this morning. I'm not a fool to understand that not everyone gathered here this morning is already a follower of Jesus Christ. The invitation is always open. As soon as the Lord calls you, I would urge you to say yes and respond and trust in Jesus alone for the salvations of your souls. But the direction of this sermon isn't helping non-believer, hard-hearted people to act more like Christians. We've seen historically and in our culture today, that doesn't help anybody. So this, this sermon as we're diving in is for, for those who are kicking the tires of the faith or have been around the faith to look at and maybe see what really is inviting uh, about it and what's hard about it and impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit and see what's going on. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt through deceitful desires... Deceitful desires meaning I can make it sound right or good. I can just, look, I don't know about you, I can justify most things. I'm 43 years old. I know how to spin things in my favor often. Fortunately, I married a woman who has a detector of those type of things and loves me enough to say, hmm, no. No, but it's really good, it's really for the... No, it's not. And as I grow in wisdom and earn her trust, then, then we both realize I can be trustworthy with some of those directives, risks, and unctions, but there's still a need for more conversation. And for as us believers, all of us different types of personalities make up the body of Christ. And each of us have our unique gifts as we do that. And he says, but hey, here's the invitation. You can put that off. You can take it off. You don't have to wear it any longer. 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Here's the invitation. The heavy lifting has already been accomplished through God on the cross, through his son Jesus Christ, by his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then the fulfilled promise of the sending of his Holy Spirit through the guidance of his word, through the accountability of the saints among you to live into this lifestyle, which is life-giving and not life-taking. And so when we start addressing behavioral patterns or habits or things that the Bible does call sin, the reason we're doing that is no longer to get you to act right, but to identify areas of your life and in your patterns that are actually robbing you from the real joy of connecting in an authentic community with the Lord that brings transformation and renewing of your mind so that tomorrow is a bit better than yesterday. Not just emotionally, but in all ways. The way you view the Lord, the way you view yourself, the way you view your spouse or your children or your neighbors or even your enemies, it's different. Second thing we see is that transformation is a spirit-empowered, biblically-informed process. It's easy, especially early on in your faith, to have a feeling or a sensation, especially those of us who are more keen towards how we feel or our emotions. It's easy to confuse um, our emotions with the work of the Holy Spirit. And hear me, I believe the Lord very much still engages with our emotions, with our mind, with our, our core, very much so. But one of the great ways that he's empowered us to measure and to sense and to work within that context is through measuring it against his word. The Lord will never call you by the unction of a spirit to do anything that's contrary. I don't know if I agree with that. That's okay. I would love to talk with you about it. And I don't like that sometimes too because I prefer to go my own way. Now, those of you who are, who are, who are very heady, logical thinkers, he oftentimes engages your intellect, your mind, and brings things in your mind and along your way that helps engage. For those of us in the emotional area that are just big-time feelers, I'm a big feeler. I can just hide it with my weird-looking mad face. But those feel it, but the Word of God brings measure, and good community brings measure. For my, my strong friends who are deeply passionate but kind of have sense in their core the way things should be, the Word of God helps bring clarity and vision and conviction. So the Lord, following Jesus isn't a departure from the body. It's a right assessment of it. It's not a disconnect from the mind. It's a proper engagement of it. And as we start realigning ourselves that way, that we understand that maturity is a growth in wisdom fueled by biblical knowledge. And seeing it applied through in the context of community. He said, look, this is not the way you've learned. But the reality is, is the longer I've been a follower of Jesus, the more I view life differently. Before, if someone wronged me, my natural impulse is to wrong them more or more passive-aggressively wish them harm. Right? If they could ultimately be harmed without me having to go to prison, that's my ideal path. 
That's sin. We're laughing because we're like, well, yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, that's, that's godless thinking. Then you're like, what about the Psalms? That was fulfilling God's mission. The guy who cut me off in the H-E-B parking lot, wishing that all of his tires fell off his truck, that's just sin. Just trying to delineate for us. But I would ask us, what are we allowing to form our worldview? Because I have to tell you, I've been American longer than I've been a Christian. I've been a cease longer than I've been a Christian. I've been engaged by the Roach family, R-O-C-H, not R-O-A-C-H, on my mom's side, longer than I've been a Christian. I've been a Texan longer than I've been a Christian. Hallelujah. I've been a lot of things longer than I've been a Christian. And a lot of ideas have indoctrinated my thinking that I'm seeking to apply biblical truth to. And so I'm trying to back it in and say, hey, this, this truth has to really reconcile with, with already what I know, what's ingrained deep in me. My, my identity is too locked into those other factors, whether it's politics or finances or livelihood or state of living or whatever it might be, even theological convictions. And so when, when Jesus is saying, hey, um, unclothe yourself, he's not saying renounce your citizenship like, and stop engaging in your immediate community. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is like all of those things have informed how you are. And so when we understand what we're putting in informs how we think, there are things that are in the Bible, not liberal Bibles, not conservative Bibles, that will offend both sides of the aisle. Both of them. On one side of the aisle, we're saying, and hear me, I'm, my political position is depressed. That's it, okay? But on one side of the aisle, we have, oh, government's too big, government's overreaching. Okay, but is the church feeding those who are hungry? Is the church caring for orphans and widows? So that's one side. On the other side, we have... Um, we, we, we ultimate a certain stage of life and disregard other stages of life, right? We can go on all sides and say, hey, we can identify unbiblical stuff, but, but what I'm sensing even in the church is on politics and philosophy of living and na- national things like that, we're, we're slapping some Jesus on it as an afterthought rather than removing those clothes first, clothing ourselves in Christ, and then bringing these things back on. And so what we're doing is we're treating Jesus like a patch on our vest rather than the vest itself. And so we're trying to stick patches on it that should fall off. I'm guilty of that, okay? I'm not sitting here like, y'all need to act right. No, I'm saying we need to grow up. What are we allowing to influence our thinking? How we, uh, here's what I know. The more I think about what I deserve the more sin I begin to permit in my life. Doesn't mean that we don't have basic rights. But if you think about it, in in a theological context, a human being outside of the grace of Jesus Christ deserves one thing. And that's hell. Now some of you are like, oh, he said the H word. I don't like it either. I wish I could say, here's some cotton candy. We all get to ride the Ferris wheel of Jesus. But if that doesn't break your heart and reallocate, like, 
The number one problem that the United States of America has isn't liberals or conservatives, it's sin. Unrepentant sin. And quite honestly, the people who are peddling the truth often are unrepentant themselves. If we want to see transformation, it begins with us kneeling before God and saying, I'm still off. I'm still immature. I'm still not finished. I still need to repent. Because after all, if we're really reading and living out the gospel, where are the peacemakers? Where are those who speak truth in love, out of sorrow and not anger? Where are those who lead from a posture of humility and compassion and care? Why is anyone going hungry in our county? Why does any child go unloved in our county? Why does anyone in our county never hear of the true sacrificial love of Jesus Christ? And why are we so much putting our energy behind abdicating our own responsibility as saints gathered as the church and putting it on politicians? I get outsourcing. I love outsourcing. But our own sanctification and holiness and worship of God was never meant to be outsourced. The only thing that you have to outsource is the payment of your sin. And that's to Jesus. And in return, he takes your shame and guilt and fear and ruin and gives you God's righteousness and his spirit, which empowers you now to say yes to the things of God and no to the things that will kill you. So I wanted to preface and say this is really like a three-part sermon that I've chopped down into one. And so we're going to go fast um, through the rest. Um, hopefully I'm allowed to preach here again and we can address some of these things further. Um, but if you're ready to buckle up, students, you've been great. Children, you've been great. I put some asleep. It's perfect. But let's buckle up because this is going to be pretty quick. So because of all of this, I, I labored in pr on purpose on this. Because of, of this, having put away falsehood, let each of one you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Working hard and getting a job isn't just so you can have nicer stuff. It's so that you can be helpful to those in need. Mind you, we're talking to those who are calling themselves born-again followers of Jesus Christ. And let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Number three is this. Our relationship with Jesus transforms our relationships with each other. He's saying, put away falsehood. Start pursuing what is true. Speaking truth with his neighbor. Why? Because we are responsible for fellow humans. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. The amount of Christian jargon spin of righteous anger happening for the last, oh, say, four to 12 years is I don't think righteous anger is perpetual and increasing and ongoing. 
But in our culture, and especially our culture, people are getting more and more mad with less and less solutions. Which is internalizing and affecting our, our health and our, our, our gospel witness. See, corrupt talk is actually not just saying swears. Corrupt talk is tearing down and poorly timed. So you can say very flowery good words that tear people down and is timed poorly. Or you can have God-honoring, life-giving talk that builds up, that is timely, and extends grace. One is a foolish way to speak, and one is wise. So moms and dads, when was the last time you apologized to your child for responding in a foolish manner? That's a gift. The goal is... Kids, teenagers, we don't have it all figured out, but we're gathered here on Sunday morning, not just hoping that you'll catch something, but that we start thinking a little bit more like this book and start worshiping the God who is revealed through it. And then we can say, not I was acting, man, I was mad. No, I was foolish. I was being childish. I was acting like a fool. I'm sorry. Let me, let me start over. When your spouse is fighting, hey, it's easier just to be done with people when they're messing up. But that's foolish. That's not wise. I know there's tons of layers to those type of things. But by and large, like relationships in the view of the gospel are meant to be restored, not torn down. And, and with the pandemic, we've become far more isolated. And we've been in echo chambers and just many of you already know, Facebook, Instagram work on what's called an algorithm. And they're functioning by whatever you engage with to give you more of what you want to see and hear. Same with news sites. Same with search engines. They're learning your usage passage so they can sell you more stuff. You're the product. As long as you understand that, then hopefully you understand the way that fair and balanced is not really fair and balanced because we want to sell you reverse mortgages Precious metals and a bunch of pharmaceuticals. But what are we allowing to, it, it, it comes out, it, it's, it's shown. You can act right for an hour on Sunday, some of you. But then the isolation starts coming out on social media in the way we, and it's, there's a lot of corrupt talk coming out of the church of Jesus Christ. Not bad words, but just tearing down, not building up. Lack of compassion in all judgment. Lastly is this, and we'll wrap it up here. And this is important. Verse 30, followers of Jesus. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Why? And we'll go into verse 32 in a second. But know this, that our relationship with each other affects and reflects our relationship with Jesus. The way we relate to one another. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Okay, why? Well, first of all, what is grieve the Holy Spirit? It, it's, it's not just disappointing or letting down. It's the sorrow that comes from someone who has been given everything and acting like they have nothing. One who's been given the very power and acceptance and forgiveness to forgive 
and to pray for their enemies and to be generous with others. And then instead they turn and are severe with people who are unlike them. And what's crazy to me is when we are severe with those who do not yet know Jesus and we're expecting them to know Jesus. Yet we're being such a jerk that how in the world will they ever hear? You're right, in Romans 2, it says God's jerkiness leads us to repentance. No. Some of you are like, oh, I'm going to use that. It's not what it says. For God's kindness leads us to repentance. A supernatural kindness, I would dare say, is far more constructive and transformative today than justified wrath and anger. We'll see. But you have been purchased, there have been promises made and kept, and you have been protected and preserved as followers of Jesus Christ. You may lose your life, but you cannot lose your soul if Christ has you. So because of this, you then have the power to work towards putting away bitterness, all expression of anger, all expressions of gossip and defamation. And he goes on to say in verse 32, believers, if we engage this with our, our, our Lord when he doesn't do things the way we ought, when we do this with ourselves, when we drop the ball, and if we engage our spouse and our children and our friends and our family and our enemies this way, there might be hope yet. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you in the same way that Christ has forgiven you by the power of the Holy Spirit you are able to work towards forgiving others trust and forgiveness are different so it's not just immediately trusting those who harmed you but being able to work towards the process of releasing someone from you recognizing wrath on them Growing from you longing for wrath on them. Longing for justice is God-given. That's a fine-edged sword because we also deserve justice. And so as we lean into that maturely, we begin to understand that areas that I'm not yet ready to forgive, I bring before the Lord and ask for help, and I seek counsel, and I process, and I admit that I'm not there yet, but Lord, whatever unforgiveness I'm holding is actually holding me. And affecting my relationship from fully accepting the forgiveness of Christ in my own life. And limiting the power of experiencing that forgiveness by extending it to others. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So what? Okay, Casey, you said it's time to grow up. It's time to mature. This is why the church ought to be encouraging you to spend time in the Word. And to spend time journaling and, and asking questions and, and engaging in biblical community, not being a show-off of saints acting all together, but coming together saying, like, this is heavy. Can't carry it alone. And having people around you who humanize your existence but never give up declaring the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And we're going to mess up. Those of you who've done any life with me know, like, Occasionally something good comes from it, when God is merciful. But ultimately, as we're maturing together and growing in the Lord together, we have more to bring, and then there's more overflow. 
to give to other people. Whether it's reading and studying and journaling and prayer, that also that's internal and isolation needs to be brought to bear on Sunday mornings in your community group or Sunday school with other believers and also engaging with non-believers. Look, there's more of Jesus for all of us to have. Some of you here are closer to going home to heaven than some others here. I'm not pointing anybody out. And some of you are chuckling because you're like, amen, Lord, bring it. Can't wait to run again. But we don't know the day or time. So there's always more of the infinite God for us to have and more of Jesus for us to enjoy and more forgiveness to experience and give to other people. None of us are finished, and we must continue to press in. So we have to ask a question in response to the invitation to continue to grow up Why? Because Jesus is at work regardless of what we're doing. And so the question for you is this, will you join him? And if you're here this morning, you've yet to place your hope and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to be rightly reconnected with God and filled by his spirit and used for his gospel, that invitation's open today to say, Jesus, I don't know you, but I need to. We're going to have some of our elders and deacons on the side available to pray with you. And you can come up to them and say, hey, I I don't know Jesus, I need to. But many of us here, we need to repent. We need to change the way we think. We need to change the way we're behaving. We need to change a lot of things, change our direction. And the way we do that as followers of Jesus is not to, unfortunately, our faith is in an etch-a-sketch that we shake and have to start all over. Think of it more of a train that's derailed, that Jesus is inviting you today to come back on. Whether you're with us this morning or listening online, that invitation is open. Come back. Today's the day. Let's grow together. Amen. Let's pray.